Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. I remember when I first moved to Toronto, I remember passing much music and going, oh damn, that's that's where it happens. That's where my childhood imagination was. Where, where is home, you said, when you moved to Toronto? Vancouver. I went from, originally from Vancouver, but okay. I lived in New York for many years and lived in Los Angeles and I've moved around quite a bit. Okay. But, mm. So Vancouver, born and bred? Born and bred in Vancouver. Yes. Um, fifth generation Vancouverite. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Which is very rare. Like yeah. we are like five generations. Yeah. We're like the first people. So McCormack that is It's Irish, Irish, but our family name is Campbell. So our families lived in Canada. Like my great great grandfather was the head of the RCMP. Mm. Like just like hardcore old ass. Like, oh wow. I'm not sure what my allowed to what swear words I'm allowed to say, but mm, CRTC doesn't know it exists. I don't like I don't know. It's digital. It's <laughs> online. So I I think we're allowed to say whatever we want yeah. to say. Um, okay, so your so your grandparents came. Yeah, yeah they like all Ireland. they came basically. I mean, it's absurd to say that we're Irish and Scottish because we've been Canadian for for so, for many, so many years, and we're such a generation. Yeah, it, and there's so many few families that yeah. can really say that. Um, you know, and it's not like the greatest thing ever because I'm sure there's like imperialistic bullshit in our family but at the same time it's it's like you know i come from a long line of politicians and veterans and teachers tell me and tell nurses me like, and yeah okay so campbell and campbell then... yeah so my my mom's first cousin is gordon campbell who's the why does that ring about he was the premier of bc for many years okay like yeah. very recently uh he was premier no until not until like 10 years ago okay yeah he but was the name the, is very familiar yeah he was um also the ambassador the canadian ambassador to the uk okay for a long time yeah, yeah. um but yeah we just i just came from a long line of like civil servants and politicians okay. and you know like we were very big into can't like like i said my great-great-grandfather was yeah. the head of the rcmp perry campbell we <laughs> We have like wow. uh, lots of Canadian bread. Um, yeah, my mom grew up in Vancouver when it was a small town, and it okay. wasn't until I was in high school where suddenly there were Porsches and pools and people going to Mexico every goddamn holiday and yeah, yeah. places in Whistler. Like it was a small town with a few families, and then after you know when I was in high school, it just kind of became this other city. And now when I go there, it's it's kind of unrecognizable to me a little bit so how did like how did acting and singing and all this creative stuff yeah did, was it like you're making a left turn enough of this serving the country <laughs> let me <laughs> yeah it's actually pretty funny i um it really came out of nowhere there okay. I, I have a i have a cousin second cousin they did a lot of opera and music um but in my family it really wasn't a thing okay my dad was a doctor my mom's a teacher yeah um a lot of nurses and like I said civil servants and all that um so yeah I was seven years old and I'd never considered acting or singing before I was seven I was just busy being seven, seven, years, old. <laughs> seven years old and we're still in Vancouver and we're still in Vancouver yeah. and my mom took me to the Hal Prince revival of Showboat the musical okay uh, yeah, famous yeah, yeah. Musical. yeah yeah and in the second act uh when Lynette McKee came on stage and sang the song Bill I had a legitimate panic attack like full-on i've been struck by lightning i was shaking i was sweating and really? I, I don't know if you remember like a seven-year-old sweating is very weird like yeah. kids to kids you're sick or something I, yeah and I, my hands were shaking and my hair was like standing up on end and i just thought i i became it went from like seeing it happen and going that is the greatest thing i've ever seen to being absolutely 
vehemently jealous and angry at the people on stage because it wasn't because it wasn't me and it wow. it was intense so and then i like i went home and i ran upstairs to my bedroom i started bawling my eyes out wow. and my mom's like what is wrong with you and i was like you don't understand you'll never understand and then within a year or two i had you know i had, i obviously had been singing like i had i you know kids sing around the house sure, my sure. mother put me in singing lessons put me in acting lessons yeah I bullied her into like letting me get an agent when I was eleven. I went, I like took the bus downtown. Yeah, it, it, just since I was seven, this has been. I have had blinders on. This has been it. Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, I, I consider myself very lucky. And was it a direct path to Toronto, or, or like you said, did you go to no. LA? And... <laughs> no, direct. There's never been a direct path. Okay. Mine's like the back road, back door, scenic route. Okay. <laughs> secret, like you know, when you go to those bars, which can you, be fun. Which is. Sure. Like I, I, I will never, you know, any, any experiences, every, any opportunity I get, I do consider myself lucky, but luck is like the last thing to factor into it. I've been knocking down doors and, and, and like, it, it feels, I think luck happened when you saw the show, when you saw showboat, that was luck. That was, you're right. And, that and, is true. Yeah. yeah that that is, was it. Cause everything it could else, have, yeah. everything else has been a grind. And so essentially I, you know, started going to acting singing and I started competing in musical theater and opera and classical music and then uh, I went through like I, did, I was really also big into academics and so I got okay. into this like art school this ah. yeah you know that studied classical um, music and literature and art history and I went to go do that I got a scholarship to do that in England so I did that after my first year of university we're in England like one of these popular actually no famous places everyone goes to <laughs> no it was in the south of england in a castle called hearst Monceau castle of course it was in a castle right okay oh my goodness <laughs> so before there was harry potter um the, the queen's university has a exchange program called through called hearst Monceau castle where they select about 200 students mm -hmm. in the country who excel in various aspects of the arts and they take you to the south of england in east sussex and you are taught by professors from all over the country from Canada and you are taught in a castle and you live in this castle and it's legitimately Harry Potter and then Harry Potter come like that we predated Harry Potter like I mean I was in university yeah. well after Harry Potter came out but the university had been going around had been doing doing this for years that you went to oh school my goodness it was bananas it was total like <laughs> total fucking bananas I just I can't even so you went to Queens and this is how it happened or? yeah it was through Queens University okay. so essentially Throughout high school, I was like the head of the yearbook and student council, and I did the PA announcements every morning, and I was the head, like the lead of the school play, and I did jazz choir. I was one of those like total. So not just creative, but like you're leading. Like, like literal, yeah. over, like the, uh, I got told I was an overachieving, bossy pants, control freak, like since I was like seven years old. And it's only recently that I've stopped taking that as an insult and realized that you only say that to women, <laughs> girls. Um, it's really something you only hear, like, said to girls. Like, you're so bossy and, like, you know, all Yeah, that. guys are never bossy. We're guys. Guys are powerful, wonderful leaders, I know. Well, anyway, so... We're going to get to that because we, we need to talk about this whole... Everything. We, need, we need to talk about everything. So, yeah. here's the lowdown. I did... So, by the time I was out of high school, I had been in like this very serious acting institution called the Lyric School of Acting, which I did on the weekends from like nine in the morning till seven. This is a Vancouver. This is a Vancouver based, based one. Intense like black box theater, hardcore acting yeah. class. Um, and then I went to London, studied literature and music and drama there. 
came back to Vancouver, went to UBC for another year to study in continuous studies in English literature, put my degree on hold in lit, went to Los Angeles to pursue musical theater, lived in Los Angeles for a year okay. at a school, transferred to the, to the New York uh, campus, finished my musical theater school there, training there. So you're still studying? There's, there's really no gigs maybe? maybe there's no, songs? you're right. I'm studying okay. musical theater at this okay. musical theater school okay. whilst I'm doing my degree at UBC okay. through distance education yeah. and going back and doing classes in the summer. Yeah. Then I graduate in New York. I start auditioning. I'm doing... What are you auditioning for? Oh, like... Musicals and musicals, stuff Musicals, like theater. Broadway, yeah, Broadway. I had no interest in doing film pretty much ever until okay. like... Stage. Yeah, it was all stage, all Broadway. Yeah. Big, just really wanted to be on Broadway. Yeah. Um, and I did a lot of really weird experimental work. I worked with composers. I got naked on stage a bunch. I got like, like, I can't even... Some of the shit that I made my mom come see, <laughs> I feel bad the for. Politicians in the family were cool with uh, that. No, well the nuts. RCMP well, was okay. The craziest thing is that my okay, so my whole family was yeah. like, all right, from the very beginning, like, what is she like? This is the plan. Like, you, I thought you were going to become a lawyer or a doctor or like something in the family okay. that makes sense. And they're like, no, she's she wants to be on Broadway. So when I was in New York and I was living in Harlem and I was broke off my ass, and my uncle who became a a genealogist after he retired from um, working in health, okay. he discovered, he was like, oh, he sent me this message and he goes, oh, Kelly, I found out that one of our great, your great, great uncles was in this Broadway, the original cast of this Broadway show. Uh -huh. Have you ever heard of the musical Showboat? And I was like, what? And he me. sends me this photo and Al Alan Campbell or Adam Camp, no, Alan Campbell, one of our great, great uncles was the original, um, uh, captain in the original cast of Showboat, which is the father of the character that I was like in love with, Magnolia, blah, blah, blah. It was crazy. It was nuts. And I was in New York, broke in Harlem. Someone had just tried to break into my apartment. Oh and my I, God. my uncle sending me this thing being like, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're not from this, you know, maybe you're not crazy. But, um, so I'm in New York doing a bunch of shows. I'm like shivering. Like, <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He sent me that. And he was just so like, he was in this musical. Have you ever heard of Showboat? And I'm like, oh my God. It's nuts. Basically, any time in my life where I have, you know, I mean, there's so many times as an artist, you just, you hit the wall and you're like, why am I doing this? What is the point? Course, I listen yeah. to that song, Bill, from Showboat, and okay. I just, like, cry or I sit there and listen to mm. it. And it just reminds me, it's like the craziest, most personal relationship with a song I could ever imagine because it reminds me what I fell in love with because yeah. it was such a true, like, love at first sight thing. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so I was in New York, did a bunch of theater, uh, the recession hit. That was really rough for international artists because to get visas was pretty much impossible okay. after that because yeah. no one was working. Um, and Even then, in New York City? Oh, yeah. yeah. There became like some of the biggest stars in the world, like Patti LuPone and Bernadette Peters, and well, these people weren't even working. So the mm. lowest of the low are the international sure. yeah. uh, non-equity actors who are doing experimental theater in Tribeca. Yeah. <laughs> We're not getting visas. Wow. So... Um, it became, there was a lot of complaints about, you know, from, I'd hear a lot of theater actors be like, oh, well, only film actors are booking work right now, and they're all taking jobs from us on Broadway, and so I had this thought where I was like, all right, well, I'll just start working in film, and then I'll just backdoor myself into Broadway. <laughs> Which is what we see now, it seems, right? You see that all the time, right? Okay. So then... I couldn't get a visa to live in the States anymore. I couldn't extend it. So it was moved back to Vancouver, moved to London, moved to where do I go? So I'd never lived in Toronto. Vancouver and Toronto represent the worst reputation to each other. Like the, I'd only heard 
The only thing I knew everyone about... Everyone in Vancouver hates Toronto. And vice versa. Okay. Like, everyone in Toronto hates Vancouver. Yeah. To the point where I don't even say where I'm from anymore. I think it's just the mountains and the ocean. I, otherwise, like, I have no problems with Vancouver. Yeah, I, I generally think it's, it's like, if you haven't... It, a lot of times people are like, oh, Vancouver's so this and that. I'm like, have you been? And they're like, no. I'm like, all right. So, yeah. and it's the same thing with Vancouver. I thought Toronto was all Bay Street. That's what I thought it was. Because oh. I'd only, well, because think about it. The only sure. people that I would have ever met in Vancouver are the ones who could afford to live in this psychotically, now, like, not expensive place. Mm-hmm. So they were all, like, Bay Street, like, business types. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, that's guess what That's what Toronto is, is Wall Street or Bay Street. Yeah. So, not so. I moved here um, a couple of years ago and fell in love with the city, got a bike, moved to the West End, became a total, like, artist, hipster, theater, whatever. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, about three years ago, I started writing, because um, I'd always been writing from my lit degree and everything uh-huh. like that. Started writing films and started producing my own work and became a writer and screenwriter and producer. And then essentially my film career kind of took off from there. And now I don't really do that much theater. I'm just focusing on film. And then then a bunch of stuff happened and then now I have lots of... And now you're here. And now I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the life story. Here you go. Uh Okay, so let's let's go back. Mm -hmm. What What was your first proper paid gig out of school in new york what oh, what was that such a good <laughs> i love this stuff oh god okay the first it wasn't well first of all in theater, like acting gigs so yeah, not yeah. like you had to yeah. go get a restaurant job or whatever uh, well proper... i have had a part-time job up until like at least three part-time jobs up until three years ago so sure. there's no such thing as like even people on broadway have part-time jobs they're sometimes. doing other stuff yeah. on this yeah um and the first professional, the first, I'd say the first handful of professional gigs you get in New York, none of them are paid, but you do it because you, okay. you need to. So my first prof, quote unquote, putting yeah. air quotes right now, professional gig was I, <laughs> this is so good. I got hired to, to play um, Mustard Seed in a three hour production of A Midsummer Night's Dream in okay. South Street Seaport in a converted J. Crew. Yeah. As in, J. Crew had just been there. Like, there was mirrors up and, okay. and dressing rooms. And this director decided he wanted to put up Midsummer Night's Dream in J. Crew. And uh, it was a, a post-war, like, dream sequence Midsummer Night's Dream. And I was to play Mustard Seed, the fairy, who was wearing, like, Logan's Run-esque togas. Like, we were wearing these rainbow togas. Yeah. And he told me um, on my first day of rehearsal that I was to play the slutty fairy because um there's a slutty version of the fairy i don't know he was like (laughs) you i want your i want your fairy to be a little slutty and i bet you get cast as that a lot that was my first day yeah this is why this is so topical because it was my first day my right out of school my first job and it the craziest the nut the nuttiest thing is is Mm -hmm. that if you're a soprano and you're blonde and you're in musical theater the chances are you've never played a single person who's ever had sex ever you're this like virgin soprano ingenue thing so when he was like you've probably played sluts quite a bit i was like no actually (laughs) i've only played like untouched virgin ingenue (laughs) sopranos from like the opera world so it was hilarious um, so was this exciting to you? Or? No, it was okay. like, I mean, it was exciting. You just do. Sure. You do what you got to do. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was three months. Three months. in the And I'd never experienced like East Coast heat before. So it was in the summer. 
and I took the streetcar down from, I took the subway down from Harlem every morning all the way to South Street Seaport, did this show. It got, the New York Times was like, this is the worst show I've ever seen, except for the delightful fairies. <laughs> so I was so stoked about that. And then um, he got, uh, he got called out by one of the other fairies for sexually harassing her. Uh -huh. And then he, um, asked me on the last day of the performance um like you know what are your what is your what is your take on the situation and i was like uh i don't i don't feel comfortable talking about this and then he said you're never gonna work again and he was the that was my first gig the first gig i ever had was that you who complained no it wasn't me okay. it was someone else but like i knew that he had been like disgusting oh, okay. but anyway the point is is that my first job the first director ever retrace told me i would never work again which is where is that true. director I have no idea. I'm okay. sure that he's not working. So they haven't made it, but he has. He hasn't made a big thing. No, 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 no. I've been told by three people in my life, three angry men, that oh. I'll never work again. Yeah. You're kidding me. Yeah, that's a thing. It's like a total line. Yet. Okay. You'll so, never work again. So. If you do anything other than just be like, "Yes, sir." Yeah. Yeah. No problem, sir. What are the other two? The other two times. Mm. I did a show. In Toronto, yeah. uh, with this director, and we were doing a play. Oh, I forget the name of the play, but it's like a really famous Canadian play. Okay. Um, and it was just a terrible production, and I, I was doing it with some Adam friends. Gables, like no, no, no. It was um, by what's his name? I think it was Melville Boys. Yeah, it was Melville Boys. Okay. But it was a famous playwright. Yeah, the director. I again, not to jump right into sexual harassment, but. I had called him out on his, like, disgusting behavior to the cast and to the female cast. And uh, I got fired from, like, a, for, like, a scheduling conflict. Sure. And then he told me that I would never work again. And I was, and it, you know what? When you get told that, it's really the greatest gift because it's such fuel. You're like, oh, one second. <laughs> and that's just it. Does yeah. it scare you, though? Does it scare me? No. Because, I mean, if it'd be different if someone really important was telling me okay. that. Okay. Oh. And I had actually done something wrong, which I know that I hadn't. Ah. But the day... I was quite confident when the guy told me when he was doing his three hours Midsummer Night's Dream post-war show in the south of New York yeah. in a J. Crew that in fact maybe he would not work again. Maybe yeah. Um, yeah, but no, it doesn't. And how come that wasn't a paid gig? Oh well, um, because actors coming out of theater school are pretty much ripe for being taken advantage of, and okay. you. Like I do, I've done a lot of unpaid work, and yeah. it's not to say that all of it's bad. Some of it's co-op. Some of it's a lot of independent theater is unpaid because sure. you're if you're making something with your friends you're you're maybe just hoping that that you'll do a, a profit share or that you know you don't really have the resources to sure. pay all the actors yeah. but it's very very common like i've done i've done unpaid gigs up until like a couple of years ago yeah not to say that you kind of have to it's a constant negotiation there's sometimes when you write at a theater school and you don't really have anything on your resume and you have no contacts and no one knows who you are yeah. the first 10 gigs you do are unpaid and then when you get to a point where maybe people do know who you are and you do have an agent and you are do have, do have stuff on your resume, but like the person you want to work with or like the project is really interesting or the, the play is really interesting, uh, you might okay. do it because you're really passionate about it. But yeah. there's no shame in doing unpaid work, but there is a lot of um, people who take advantage of sure. actors who are ununion, non-union, just out of school. That's a thing, yeah. for sure. So let, let's, if you don't mind, get into mm -hmm. this everything that's in the news now about mm -hmm. Hollywood and and men. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's, I don't know if it's, if there's a starting point, but 
in the public consciousness, maybe it started with Bill Cosby. Yeah. Uh, but then very recently now with Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like with a ton of, of other people. Yeah. Um, and to someone like me and other people like me, and I'm, I don't know if it's like me in terms of other guys, mm-hmm. maybe it is, um, where we get shocked when our, in air quotes, heroes like a Louis C.K. Right. Gets called out, and apparently he's been called up for years. Yeah. Uh, but now it goes public. Um, and even I've, I've got a, I, I'll confess, I've had, growing up in Toronto, um, the radio station is still around, um, Chum FM. Right. And on Sundays, Sunday nights, Chum FM had uh, a comedy night. And I can't remember the name of the show, but it was like maybe an hour, maybe two hours. And they would play old records. And my favorite comedian was Woody Allen. Right. And he just made me laugh so much. <laughs> yeah. And then I found out he was he was really now into movies. And I go, what? And I loved his movies. And then you hear about all the stuff that apparently he's done. And you yeah. go, oh, shit, can't I? And, and mm-hmm. all these things happen. And I go, I can't have heroes anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but yeah. on, this, on a serious side, you know, you say that this ha- happens. Like, oh, yeah. Like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, so what do you, what do you do? And, and what, what, what do you do? And, and what are you doing now with everything that's mm-hmm. out in public now, I guess? Is- yeah. It's, it's, um. What do I do? I I guess it's kind of, I think it's hard for women to talk about, to unpack or deconstruct or bring to words what we do, which is, is to us as normal as like putting on our clothes every, every day, like us dealing with sexual politics and navigating a day to day with dealing with sexual harassment is, it is literally every day like every like last night i was at midfield having a drink with my friend okay and the entire room of women radars went off because there was some man standing outside the door like basically just staring at us and waving at us and it, the, all the women in the bar and then the, the woman at the bar closed like locked the door and called her manager and was like there's some dude outside you know and we all had this moment where we were all having conversations with and very like you know some people are having conversations with men some people are having conversations in groups but every single woman in the bar like the back of their hair rose up and they we all kind of looked at each other because we all were clocking this person outside this window and then afterwards we had this really this whole bar of women and men had this really interesting conversation where we could just sense this vacuous dark energy of this man who's so Uh super toxic outside because we are constantly that, that part of our brain is constantly on where we're looking to stay safe. I mean, the number one the number one way women die in the whole world is through violence from men. So it, it's just something that's ingrained in you. And, and like, to be honest, it, it's interesting now to finally, you know, to, to talk about it. But it is, it's painful because we have to unpack and parade everything that's ever happened to us. Like mm-hmm. it's not always pleasant to tell this story and that story and this story. And there's sure. stories I've told so many times to people over the years. Um, but I've never worked at a part-time job that I wasn't sexually harassed at ever in my life. And I've had part-time jobs since I was 13. The first wow. time I had a part-time job, I was sexually harassed at it by a middle-aged man. Yeah. Um, I've never, I would say that 70% of sets I've worked on or shows I've worked on there has been an element of 
you got to kind of avoid this one person. Um, whether or not that's like a Harvey Weinstein situation level, it's it's kind of a sliding scale of anything as bad as, you know, I've been I've been left alone in rooms with produ- like thinking I'm having a good conversation with three other producers and suddenly two of them get up and leave and it is very much clear now that I've been delivered on a silver platter for this third producer. Seriously? Oh yeah, this stuff is... And I think over the years when people ask me like on the red carpet or in an interview or something, they're like, what's it like being a woman in the industry? You know, I just have, it's such a There's huge, not enough time to. Exactly. And that's what I say. I go, I say, it's worse than you think. Wow. We do not have enough time to talk about this and give it the attention it needs. Yeah. So that's all I can say is it's worse than you think. And it's, it's just that it's, it's so much woven into the fabric of, our day-to-day lives that it would be like if an alien race came down (coughs) to the planet and they were like explain what being hungry feels like or explain what you know how language works or some sort of like really difficult or explain how uh, i don't know what death is yeah yeah. you know it, it would be it would be like that. It's like we suddenly, there's this entire half of the population, men, suddenly asking us, like, well, wait. <laughs> so it's it's really, um, it's, a, it's wild. And to be honest, like, yeah, there's been all these times in my life uh, and, you know, moments where I, I could have gone forward and said, like, you can't do that. Or I've called people out and I've been fired from something because I called someone out on something. I've stayed silent and done nothing and then heard years later that he kept doing it to somebody else and I felt awful. You know, it is right now it is tr- i never ever believed it this would happen i never actually had faith that pe- men would actually lose their jobs because men are in such positions of power that to for a man like harvey weinstein and all these other men to lose their jobs they actually have to be fired by other men who are also in the boys club so wow. i was like there's just no way that's going to happen because it's like you pat your back i you I, you pat my back i pat yours like that's how the boys club sure. work so it is. It does blow my mind. So, yeah. in terms of what am I doing now? I mean, I'm trying to balance times where I'm happy to speak out about it and express my experiences. But then I know that after the Me Too thing happened, yeah, yeah. half the women I care about spent that week in bed because they were like, "Yeah, well, I forgot about this time and I buried that time and I really didn't want to tell talk about that oh. time with my friend and or I posted something online and someone who." actually assaulted me when I was younger tweet like texted me and was like keep your head up or you know it's just so much it's so much it's so painful it's so much <laughs> so when when we hear that when we hear things like why didn't she come out sooner why didn't she say anything sooner mm-hmm. um, it seems to me that there's all of these like every day yeah is, w- a, is a war Exactly. And if I to call out everything, yeah, like, I, I mean, it, it's absurd. Like, as early as last night, we were dealing with a dangerous situation with a man. Like, as yeah. early as last night, if I talked about every single time I was sexually harassed and reported it, I wouldn't. That'd be a full time job. It'd be a full time job. And it's not. And, and listen, it's not because I'm blonde. It's not because I'm an actor. It's not because I'm like flaunting my shit around. Like I dress like a dude and I wear a hoodie and I dress like I walk bike around town. Yeah. This happens to every woman at every age, every stage, no matter what. And I, 
yeah, it's 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 so much. And the whole question of like, why didn't you come forward sooner? And it's not just an entertainment. No, it's in every industry. And it, and I think, and I and everyone's like, you know, there's a lot of dumb people online saying things like, oh, this is this is the coastal elites and the leftists and they're mm-hmm. disgusting people. And we're like, we're like, yeah, well, you you guys elected yours president. <laughs> like, it's it's not surprising or shocking to us someone who bragged about sexual assault is the president of the united states so that the reason why when trump got elected i think a lot of women and obviously people of color and immigrants spent went through like a serious amount of depression is because what we've been told our whole lives is that no one gives a shit no one cares stop bitching about the time that guy grabbed your ass stopping this we don't care we don't care we don't care and when he was elected we were told we were our biggest fear was verified, was that people don't care. It's not a deal breaker to be racist. It's not a deal breaker to be sexist. It's not a deal breaker to be transphobic, homophobic, like Islamophobic. Like none of those things are deal breakers for for a large part of the population. And ugh, yeah, it's just exhausting. <laughs> um, so what, what, like what's, I don't know, is, is what's next? What's next? Yeah. That is a question. I guess I'm reserving, I'm reserving, I'm reserving judgment. Um, to see whether or not this will... Because I think right now all like the biggest offenders are being brought down, which is, again, I never thought would happen. Yeah. Um, and it feels really good, and I think people feel like it's cathartic, and it's, you know, there's a lot of powerful men who probably feel like, all right, well, as long as we get out this, this dude, I don't have to, like, recognize my own misogyny or my own mm. like that i think there's a this is all feels really good right now because there's the biggest and the worst are like we're, we're quote-unquote draining the swamp of that um i will reserve judgment that in a year from now this will be kind of old news and we'll be on another topic similar to how bill cosby happened you know like bill cosby happened a couple of years ago casey affleck just seemed to get in under the radar <laughs> like yeah. just kind of in the nick of time skipped all this like he I have heard personal stories of Casey Affleck, one on, like first-hand personal stories about him, personal stories about Louis C.K. for the last five years. Wow. Five years I've heard about this. Like, to the point where there were times where I'd be with a bunch of guys and, you know, they wanted to put on a Netflix special, they put on Louis C.K., and I'm kind of like, ugh, gross, I don't want to watch this guy. They're like, what are you talking about? He's the best. He's undeniably the best. I'm like, well, because he showed his dick to, like, my friend. <laughs> and so it's hard. And then, and then you go... So you're, I think we're always fighting the war on two fronts. We're fighting this, especially now on the internet. It's like you're fighting the war on triple everywhere. fronts everywhere. You know, you you go, this is who I am. I'm a loud, outspoken feminist. I can speak confidently and talk about this stuff. And then you have to, like, go home for Christmas. And then you talk to your brothers or your cousins or your boyfriend or your siblings. And suddenly they're like, yeah, but, like, that doesn't mean we can't. And then it becomes this two-front thing because... You know, am I not going to sit across from my dad at Christmas because he says sexist shit sometimes? Yeah. You know, like, how do you, how do you negotiate that? And I think that's what's exhausting is that also another thing is asking women constantly to be the person who defines what we do next and define, not, not that you're asking me, but I mean, like, defines what is going on and, and tells the, the, the depth of it all the time. It's just very... Any time an oppressed person, like the the oppressor, is asking, ah, we're always asking. Yeah, I get what you're saying. We're always asking the oppressed to kind of be like, well, explain to us what is the solution and what is all this stuff. And truth be told, I think that it's definitely going to be women who know how to improve workplace because we, a lot of it's invisible, a lot of it's silent, a lot of us 
would probably have thought about it before where like if this just didn't happen or if this wasn't a thing but what's next I just hope my sentiment is there needs to be um I hope women are taking care of themselves right now because mm. it's really hard to exist yeah I didn't think I thought that it was hard to exist as a woman in the world before now that it's all come out for some reason I you know, I think if I, before this, if someone told me this was going to happen a year from now, I'm like, oh, that's going to be like a party. It doesn't feel like that. It feels awful. Like, it feels like we're waiting, we're all like waiting back through our history. Um, so you, I, you're, relieve, you're reliving all of these. Reliving it, putting it on parade, trying to go, why didn't I say something then? Is that the, because like the most violent things that have happened sometimes aren't, it's not as hard. Like when a man puts their hands on you or they physically assault you, which, is ha which has happened many times in my life. Um, it's so clearly bad. Like, it's so clearly you're like, mm. they're in the wrong. There's physical contact. You, you, Your mind isn't confused by that. You're like, that guy did that. Like, he grabs your ass. I got, once I got, like, slammed up against the, a cab in, in Harlem because what? these, yeah, a bunch of dudes were like, I got out of a cab and these guys on the corner were like making a joke, being like, yeah, it's like, you know, like, what if I fuck this girl right here? And they like walked, they like slammed me against this cab. And he was like pretending to like rail me from behind. Sure. And I'm screaming. And like just got out of this cab. And then the cab driver pull, grabs my arm and yeah. pulls me back to the cab and yeah. drove me like around the block and then drove me right to my door. Um, and they were just making a joke, but like I chipped my tooth. I was shaking. I like I lived in when I was living in New York. I had like a man break into my apartment with my roommate, who knew he knew we were both there. And in the middle of the day, we had to like fight him off to get him out of my apartment. That felt bad. I was like, oh, the only reason he's coming in here in the middle of the day when he knows we're here is to literally rape us. <laughs> like there's not another reason. And that feels less difficult to unpack than the times I have felt silenced or in a meeting someone has talked to me differently than they've talked to like my male counterpart yeah. or when someone has um you know just the, the 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 invisible stuff is the stuff that I think is much more painful and much uh -huh. more difficult to unpack because you just you, you don't know you you go us women we're so and men too we're all just so brainwashed I'm so brainwashed to be like well maybe it was me Maybe mm. I did something. Maybe I should be sorry. Like, did I, was I too aggressive? Was I, was I too forthright? Like, I, I thought that I just stated what I needed and all that. So what to do now? I don't know. My first thought is women, I hope they're all taking care of themselves. I hope they're supporting um, their network. They're supporting each other. And then I think they just need to hire professionals to get into workplaces to implement the things that they've been researching and studying for many, many years that we've kind of, dismissed as social theory we need to be like oh that person goes into a workplace they know how to deal with that they look at how emails are set up and how people contact each other they look at how people are dressing what the hours are and they just go all right every every single thing we do is gendered so how do we unpack mm. that you know those people who are professionals that is so true that yeah. is so true wow there's a lot there there's so much and i, I don't i'm I don't know if I'm the right person to, <laughs> no, it's okay. to, to go through. But no, but thanks for sharing. Oh, no problem. That, that, so that I, I really, really appreciate it. I'm so happy to talk about this stuff. Yeah. And you ask very good questions, which are, like, you seem genuinely probing in the right way. And it's, it, it, it's sometimes, like, this type of thing feels good because it's a space where you're, like, creating a space to talk about this. It's like when, it's when, 
antagonistic questions are asked, being asked. It's like, yeah. well, what about, well, what are we supposed to do? Not, like, I don't know the answers. Like, I don't yeah. know the answers. Do, are we not supposed to like Woody Allen films anymore? Are we not supposed well, to I wanna, listen? I, that's exactly, wanna, yeah. Like, I, I'm not asking, I guess I am asking you because you're a woman, but mm-hmm. um, at the same time, I don't want to... You don't want to make it my responsibility to cover the answer. I'm just... Yeah. Yeah, but you're not. But I'm also being the one being interviewed, so it, it's okay. Yeah. Like, when I was at the Guns N' Roses concert. Right. And, um, I mean, I've been dying to see them for, like, over 20 years, and I finally got to see them. Mm-hmm. And there's that there's that song. Oh, my God. Um, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's a song that when they were making... When they were recording the song, Axl Rose... They got all these mics set up, and he had sex with a girl. Right. And they recorded that sound. Right. Um, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be enjoying. Right. Like, I, I literally thought that. I go, I don't know if this is right. Right. For me to enjoy. And, and so I take that, and I go, uh, and and not to make light of it, but I just I just pray every night that, please, Neil Young better not have done shit. Because, <laughs> uh, like, he's the I only, know. that's the only thing I got left. <laughs> Is Neil Young? Neil Young. No, yeah. I feel like we're good with Neil Young. I hope so. I, I, yeah. And and truth be told, like my some of my biggest idols, like Joni Mitchell. I'm like she's probably she seems like a hard ass, but um, which I know she self professed is a hard ass. So I'm like that's probably the and it's a if you you know if, and I say a lot to men. I'm like you know maybe just try and foster some more female heroes and not to say that you aren't but that's a good way that's a good hack because we we seem to not do this shit there's no female equivalent to all this um but i understand like you know if you look at oh no art like first of all art has been made by 80 percent cisgender white men for the last three thousand years yeah you know what like bach tchaikovsky mozart like uh, are we sure all those guys didn't do that? There are so many activists. There's so many athletes that we love that have battered their wives. And oh, so there's right. so many jazz musicians that have been terrible. Yeah. There are like, you know, and, and everyone says, you know, well, we gave Roman Polanski an Oscar. It's like, well, are we ever going to be post Roman Polanski? So this is a real question. Like, do mm. I not listen to misogynist nineties gangster rap because of it's, and truly, like, I think growing, I was really big into, like, 90s rap when, yeah. like, you know, in my early 20s. Like, really, it was vintage for me already okay. at the time. But, um, you know, like, I was dating someone who was older than me and grew up in the 90s. And so we listened to a lot of, um, you know, like, like that, that era of music. And I didn't think, I don't, I wouldn't, I didn't notice the misogyny that I would now. And now I go, now when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, I can't hear not yeah. hear that and i don't know what the answer is like the the answer of there whether or not you can separate the art from the artist yeah but i would say that for every person that we decide that no i'm not i can no longer consume their art let's say woody allen i can no longer consume and i mean i don't woody allen i've never really been a huge fan like okay. he kind of always kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> um uh but you know let's say we're like okay no more woody allen art there will be someone who has not done those things and 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 that is just like a really great hack to get more women in there because women sure. don't do these things maybe women are bad in other ways but like let's yeah, just yeah. say this is what our goal is to like say okay you didn't build your art and your success on the backs of hurting other people so i'm not going to support your art there will be someone else who like what an opportunity for us to go okay let's support people who weren't like that yeah um but of course there are you know no one wants neil young 
and I hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, at the, and it's, and I think what we're all really good at now, which we weren't even a year ago, is that I've heard a lot of people go, well, no, he wouldn't. There's no way. No, 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 no. Sure. And then you're like, well, yeah, but I heard it firsthand from like three other people. And they're like, no, 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 I won't believe that. I won't believe that. And now we have to go, oh, okay. Yep. And if you hear it once, then you have to just, from a woman, like we have no reason to lie. We have no reason. I've yeah. never heard, like we have no, it's such a shit show for us coming forward. It's yeah. such a shit show that what, so yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what they're like. Casey Affleck, for instance, he's, giving an award to the best female actress next year. He's walking on stage. The Academy has let go of Harvey Weinstein. And yet there are so... I don't get that. Like, is it because he's got friends that speak for him? I think that every institution... It's just really... It's what it is, and which I think is really fascinating. And this is like real Isaac Asimov, like sci-fi, like looking at the world from a really high perspective, is that... You know, we've always been so in fear of corporations running this world. You know, yeah. the, what are we, the corporations going to run the planet? Mm. And that's what's going on right now, right? But it's amazing because we've been so feared of corporations running the world that we also, but I think that we didn't anticipate is how much power now the consumer has because we vote every time we go to a movie. We vote. Yeah. We vote with our the way we spend our money. Yeah. So when a movie um, like Ridley Scott's film decides to replace Kevin Spacey, they're doing so at a cost benefit, but knowing that if they don't replace him, people won't go to that people film. Won't go. So he is going, all right, this is this reshoot's going to cost us this much million dollars, but we'll make it back in this. So it's realizing now that, you know, we don't have to give money towards towards these things and people boycotting it's all been whispering it's all been happening people boycotting the oscars people kneeling at the nfl like we this idea that we somehow have a little power even when corporations are running the the shit show like we do because so when the academy sends out harvey weinstein they're in some ways yes it's a more quote-unquote moral signaling they're going all right we stand by women blah 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 but also it might be we've got to protect our brand from a financial standpoint. Because mm. if he's still in the Academy, how many people are going to boycott the Oscars? No yeah. one's going to watch it. But then again, I go, well, there are so many people, like, for instance, Casey Affleck, who's, you know, going to be on the stage next year. What are you going to do? When do we say, yeah, when do we just separate the art from the artist? In 100 years from now, this will all be worked out. <laughs> I hope sooner. I, I don't know. What would be amazing is if literally I know. all the women just walk out when he gets on stage. Honestly, I remember it gives me shivers because when I was younger, I remember my mo- my mom's a sing like a single parent and yeah. um, super strong. Being an independent, hardcore like I can do whatever I want woman has been so normalized for me since I was young. Yeah, and I remember her explaining to me why I wasn't allowed to stay out as late as my brothers, and mm. me just being like, "It's not fair! Like sure. it's not fair that I have to do this. It's not fair that." I have to be worried about being assaulted or being raped or sure. It's not fair that I have a period and I'm not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Like I'm not allowed to do any of these things. And, um, I remember telling my mom being like, why don't women just, just say fuck you. And why don't women just, I didn't say fuck you when I was like, <laughs> but like, why don't women just decide to walk out? Why don't we not go to work and we don't go to school and we don't have babies and we yeah. like, we don't have sex. We don't kiss. And of course I'm thinking we don't kiss our partners. We don't get married. And I just dreamed of this moment. I, I remember dreaming of a moment where all women were like just shaking their heads and crossing their arms and being yeah. like, no. And, 
as as shitty as this year has been, um, and as deep and dark a depression I had after Trump was elected, the day like w- this blows my mind, mm. and I still say it, and people have forgot because so much crap has happened since then. But the largest protest in human history, the was like the was the women's march. Mm. The most time that all that more there's never in, in the human all of humanity. There's yeah. never been a moment where that many people galvanized behind something was in January of last year and there wasn't a single arrest. If that you can't even get like a pack of like 30 men downtown Bay Street like like without there being some sort of scuffle. If that isn't a statement that women should be in positions of power and and bring their 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 feminine imperative which is to create and 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 to and to like care for. Yeah. If we don't, if there isn't a better excuse for like putting women in positions of power, women running the, running the show, I don't know what is. And it, it, yeah, like I have never felt this. I've never felt, I can't believe how powerful our strength in numbers is. It's because the, in every society, anytime where an oppressor wants to silence the oppressed, it's you divide and conquer. You tell them, you, you, you tell, we've been told for so long that our only value is how we are seen by men. Whether or not mm. we're desirable, whether or not we're skinny and we're beautiful. So what it does is it makes us all compete. We've been competing with each other for thousands of years yeah. for this thing called the man, for this thing called the marriage and the and mm. the picket fence and this. We've been competing and competing. We've been shit talking each other and like sure. being absolutely vicious towards each other because we've been oppressed. And now suddenly we're like, wait, we can if we all unite, this is we are have the power. We're the majority mm. here. And that feels, yeah, like, how cool would it be at the Oscars if everyone was just like, fuck you, and just left? That, people would watch. The, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, people would watch. Yeah, yeah. And if that, I mean, just for the ratings. But, but I, like, I don't know, like, are, are we as a society ready to... No. To, to be so bold? It's not that we're... I think we're ready to. Maybe that's not I, I think we're ready to be so bold. I just don't think that people understand that our the fabric of society is gendered, and if we blow this up, if yeah. we are so bold, which we will be, and that is what's happening. No one like society as we know it is is done. In in my and that yeah. sounds like a I a book that had a huge impact on me because um, I'm a huge sci-fi reader is Ursula K. Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness, okay. which is about this this planet that doesn't have any gender it's a genderless planet and this guy from like an earth type guy Uh goes to the planet and he doesn't know how to communicate with these people because he realizes that language and how you you Mm. know diplomacy is gendered the way in which you 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 ingratiate yourself to a man is to be more of or less than a man towards him to be masculine in a way to shake hands and you know do what you know you see politicians doing all the time the way that women interact and the way that women can ingratiate themselves to each other is through the exchange of, of um, you know, like as the things that we are told that we're valued through, like the way we look, how we dress. Um, and so this guy, this character has no idea how to do anything or get anything, get anywhere because he's not working with a gendered society. He, these people do not huh. recognize any type of tit for tat on gender. Yeah. So I don't think people quite understand that if we are so bold, which I think we will be, what is going to be left for us? Because the question that the question of, well, 
can we separate the art from the artist? Can we separate it, you? Then you start going, all right, do I still continue to have a relationship with this family member if he doesn't like, do we still sit at the table with our racist uncles and aunts? Do we mm. still do that? Do we still like, I think if an, I say this a lot, but if an alien came down to earth and they were like, took a look at everything that was going on, let's just say under the topic of gender. And yeah. they were like, all right, we've assessed the situation through our completely objective point of view. They would say, well, the only thing that needs to be done is that all women should live on this half of the earth and all men should live on that side of the earth. And if men want to interact with women, they have to overcompensate through trust to be like, okay, may I, may I connect with you because of this historical, huh. you know, inaccurate, this is historical um, inequality. Yeah. Because why is it that a woman would ever, from what we know, from what we've all experienced, why would a woman ever agree to being alone with a man? Like, why would we do that? That seems yeah. that seems insane. And when you tell men this, they're th that I think they can. I think most men can can relate to that. Be like, yeah, I think that if I had that experience sure. every single time, I wouldn't. Then I wouldn't go out with a guy. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know how. Like, so it's that kind of stuff where I'm like, I don't know. I I also say uh, again, I'm this sci-fi is a wonderful tool because there's books and things like especially old old school like 60s 70s sci-fi yeah. where these these crazy awesome like hippie writers are writing about gender and you know just like the orwellian sci-fi that's very like philosophical but um i you know if um, if there if we're 100 years from now and there was no gender like if there was no oppression there's no patriarchy we've done we've done our due diligence it doesn't exist a man and a woman walking into a room together and, and attempting to have like a sexual interaction are still not equal because a man can physically overpower a woman yeah. and a woman cannot physically overpower a man. Yeah. So those are the facts. Like it's the same facts we have of, of so you, so a man has to go out of their way to overcompensate, to make mm. sure that consent happens. Yes. It's, we understand that in terms of our relationships with children, we know that when a, when a, mm. when an adult and a child walk into a room, you know, you are not equal. So you have to be like, hi, that's hey, right. we know how to correct. For some reason, we have we have stopped learning. We we, we I'm not to say, I'm not saying that women are children. That's not the thing I'm saying. But I'm saying that we as a society have exemplified that we understand that when you connect with an animal, when you connect with this, when that we know how to de overcompensate to bridge the gap of inequality, yeah. or um, you know, we we know how those things work. Um, but for some reason with gender, it's all been, we haven't, we haven't done that. And the amount of times where I hear men go, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, I was going to ask a woman to kiss her before I do. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a thing. That's a thing. There's lots of questions you can ask. You can be like, is it cool if I do this? Or if I do, are you into that? Or whatever. But yeah, that's, so I, I think that, I, I do think people will be so bold, mm. but it's gonna, we're basically blowing up stuff and we have no idea what the foundation really is, how it's written on our fabric. And I don't think we have answers of how are we going to rebuild after it's everything's been blown up. Yeah. But I do think that's where it's going, which is exciting and terrifying. And I'm just gonna be here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like that's, that's yeah. this, it's this kind of, and also this internet thing where the, 
the generation that's been in experimented on with the largest technological advancement since the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all just, these things coming together. Yeah. It's very heavy topics. <laughs> um, there should be like a commercial in here so I can make like a segue. Yeah. That's, that's fine. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah. Segue. Um, it's fine. There's no, so it's go. almost impossible to talk about light things yeah. anymore. That's why I think it's neat. So we can which is segue, good. which is great. Yeah, and it's better than it was last year. So I'm happy to segue yeah. into what's going on. That's not heavily and sci-fi related. So so tell me about mm. um, working with Ricky Gervais. I don't know if you actually yeah because you guys were in the scene together. Yeah, in special correspondence. How was mm -hmm. that? Um, Ricky Gervais was one of my top five people I always wanted to work with because okay. I think he's a genius. Okay. Um, and I'm, and like my fingers are crossed. I know. <laughs> I can feel you. I was like, for everyone who's thinking, Ricky Gervais was probably the most lovely human being I've ever, uh, like encountered. Yeah. He was completely, here's a good example, completely aware that he is the star, completely aware that he's famous. Yes. Aware that you aren't nervous when you walk on set because this is a huge deal for you. And he walked right up to me and was like, Kelly, it's so great to meet you. I loved your audition. We're gonna, I'm gonna introduce you to everybody. And he took me and was like, this is our first AD. This is Kelly. This is the, this is Eric Bana. This is Kelly. This is, you know, like he was what a leader and a number one on a call sheet should be. He was friggin' great. And making him laugh was like crack. It was. Oh my god! Like <laughs> he's got the laugh right. Like, he was just like <laughs> he just like has this like crazy. Oh my gosh! Like he, we did our scene, and I'm in the scene with with him and Eric Bana. Yeah. And then he would leave the scene, and I would just kind of like riff with making like weird faces or whatever, or just being like dorky and nerdy. And so he would leave the scene and then step behind the monitor. Yeah. And I could see him in my sight line, watching the monitor and like giggling, and like I. It was nuts. It was nuts because in the scene I'm making eye contact with him, and I just had this. It's just weird. You don't think of these things. You don't yeah. think I'm gonna go on set and make eye contact with Ricky Gervais. You know, you're you would pray yourself to work with him, but uh, making eye contact with him was really weird. And then also him laughing behind the monitor as I riffed was a, one of the greatest joys. That was awesome. Yeah, he was wonderful. I have only good things to say about him. Nice. Yeah. He's uh, one of the good ones. <laughs> he's one of the good ones. Okay, good. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll make note of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, now I, I know you've, you've, you've written, you've done music. Mm -hmm. Like you've written your own songs and you sing. Uh, I have or, not. I mean, I do write music, but no one's okay. ever heard my music. Okay. Um, no. What kind I, of music do you, uh, do you sing or? Um, I know you sing, but what's what's sort of like what genre of music? Well, I grew up singing classical, opera, musical theater. Yeah. I moved away from, I did a lot of Sondheim, a lot of operetta, and then I moved into jazz and contemporary and folk and Joni Mitchell esque stuff. And and oh. now what do I do? I like real ambient stuff. I I've no I have never released like an album of music. Okay. I've never no one's ever heard me sing my own stuff. Um, that would be like the next career turn of the, the crank to yeah. move into more writing my own music but um uh yeah i musical theater is so great because every time you get cast in a show it's a different genre of music you're doing something oh completely different yeah like you do a gershwin show you do an Austin okay yeah, show. Yeah, it's yeah. like totally different um so yeah i don't really do i have no idea what my own sound is yet but okay. um in the feature that i'm working on sugar daddy which is my next feature that i wrote that we're shooting i play a musician and in the movie we're working with um a musician who's writing the music for the film so 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know yet. But I, oh, I play a lot of, like, different instruments, kind of. I don't know. <laughs> nice. Um, is this a CBC show that, I don't know how to pronounce it? The Nadeaus of Duquesne Island. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point, that, it, that no one can pronounce it. Yeah. Um, yes, it's a CBC show. Uh, that one I produced, I didn't write. And, okay. Um, yeah, I produced that, and I'm in it as well. I play a demonic twin sister named Aloida Nadeau. And we shot it last year up north, and it's a um, fake NFB-style 1970s documentary about, yeah, <laughs> I said a lot of things. That sounds uh, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's it's basically like a note-perfect remake of those weird NFB docs we watched in schools. Yeah, yeah. Like with really weird, yeah, like you, you should watch it. It's very, it makes people extremely nostalgic for Canadiana. Um, we shot it up north. It's about this self-exiled family of five. Uh-huh. Um, two parents, um, a young boy named Elmer and his demonic twin sisters. And, uh, yeah, we, we shot it, and then we released it through the CBC as if it was a real documentary that they had unearthed. And we got um, a bunch of famous Canadians to say that they had seen it in the 70s, and it was lost. Yeah. yeah, like I interviewed John Cretchen. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, like, Graham Greene and Colin Mockery and... Um, David Suzuki yeah. and uh, yeah it's doing really well it's it's one of the most successful digital originals on I gotta CBC. go watch it yeah it's it's definitely um, something I'm really deeply proud of because it's so weird and it's so not marketplace sure <laughs> people were like you're not gonna get this made I'm like okay one second <laughs> I'm gonna go do that <laughs> um, so yeah that's that show that's my show that's um, I had DW in here yeah yeah, and you, you're, I guess, yeah, this year you were on the series. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my DJ. How was that? Oh, it was so much fun. You're, I'm on set with, like, my best friends and people I love. I actually did, I did last season and this season. Last season this season. Um, I play D. I'm the kind of, uh, you know, supporting character that's, a, was there for a good time, is okay. comic relief kind of thing. Um, right. You know, a lot of. Uh, the heavy lifting was done through the two leads this year, Jade and um, Nico. Uh, and I was really just there to bring the lols, as I say. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, working with PW was great. And um, there was just a lot of great people on that set. Emily Pigford, and um, it was also produced by my friend Chris Hayes. And just, yeah, working, again, another experience where, I mean, like, I'm, I don't know what 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 the deal is i can't remember what the deal is with that but that's this thing where like if someone asked if any of those people asked me to do something for them for free i'd be like for sure yeah you know that's not me that's a thing that where your friends you i would do anything for my friends for free for sure tell me about the killjoys experience mm-hmm. oh the greatest because that sort of like is, has exploded i uh, know uh yeah killjoys well the single greatest um, there's not... That sounds... I mean, that's a sci-fi. Sci-fi show. I play... That's Z- right up your alley. Total up my alley. Um, I play Zeph, the new uh, nerdy science nerd who's super socially awkward and um, bizarro and amazing. And, um, yeah, I, I, I got cast. I didn't know it was such a big part. I, I thought it was only, like, one episode. And then I ended up doing the whole season and... Um, had a really great character arc and the showrunner Michelle Lavretta and the writing team um, were just dreams and the whole cast Aaron Ashmore and Luke McFarlane and Hannah John Kamen and like it's that's a set where it's a good example of a set where I'm like I will I will do everything to stay on this set 
and work with these people as much as I can because it's a unicorn compared to some other mm. shows. Because it's just, everyone loves each other. Everyone's obsessed with each other. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And we had so many, like myself, Aaron and Luke and Hannah, would have these incredible conversations about um, sexism in the industry and, and, wow. and all this stuff. Like on set, we'd have these, sitting in our chairs, we'd, we'd have these incredible conversations. And it's just so interesting because the world has changed so much since then. But any, any workplace where you can feel comfortable talking to the other leads and the other people creatives and you feel like you're in a safe space to be like, hey... Maybe, like, this character, because she's a woman, maybe she wouldn't say it like this, but maybe she'd say it like that, and they're totally reception, receptive about it. So, yeah, yeah Killjoys was great. And also the fans were, like, tweeting with them every Friday. It was so much fun, and yeah. they respond to you, and they, like, reach out to you, and you just feel... It just feels so fun and... Like, just the best fans and the best community. Um, and that's, like, that's filmed here. Yeah. In Toronto. Yeah, it's filmed not far from here, yeah. So any plans of going back to the States? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I go to the States quite a bit. Okay. Like, I go to LA. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's, like, a little more nerve-wracking now, because it's, like, just in general, going to the States feels sure. a little more intense. Um, I'm going there in December, um, for a couple weeks, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we're shooting Killjoys in the new year, the next season, so I don't know what that's going to be for me, but I'm going to be in Canada shooting that, and I'm shooting my next feature, um, Sugar Daddy, and then, um... Yeah, I mean, I go to the States. It's always good to drop in and be like, hey, guys, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. Yeah. I haven't been to New York in a bit, but um, I used to go to New York at least once every couple months yeah. just to kind of... It's all about FaceTime. Like, people think okay. this industry... People think this industry is about something else. I think they think it's about zeros and ones and, like, money and, like, yeah. dollar signs. It's really not. It's really all about relationships. It's It's so... The times where something has been, like, the, the needle has moved for me in some sort of way, it's because... I've reached out and I've been like, this is who I am. Yeah. It's so much about personal relations. So sometimes I just go to America and I'm like, hey guys. I'm here. But yeah, no, I'd like to get, I'm getting my green card, which is great. Good. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about Sugar Daddy. Mm -hmm. Like you're producing that. Yeah. Okay. I am one of the producers on it. Um, okay. I'm producing it. Um, my, my lead producers are Lauren Grant and Lori Lazinski, two incredible present producers. Uh -huh. um, some of the two of the best in the country. And um, I wrote it and I'm starring in it. And it's being directed by Wendy Morgan, who's probably one of the most renowned music video directors. She's directed like Janelle Monet's Tightrope and a bunch of Gnarls Barkley's videos and a bunch oh, okay. of like um, The Kills and a bunch of cool stuff. So, yeah, we're shooting in the new year, and um, I've been working on it for three years. It's kind of like my Rocky. like my. Okay, that's your thing. This is my, like, all right, Kelly, you want to say some shit? Here we go. Like, this is what we're doing. So, yeah, I just am basically am swimming in, like, a sea of self-doubt and stress day to day. Oh, my. <laughs> Knowing that this is happening in the new year. Yeah. Ah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's happening. And is... Is the stage still a place you want to end up? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. This is all, this is like a big circumventing backdoor, <laughs> like long route to just me living in the south of England and doing eight shows a week and working on Broadway and the West End and being in musicals and being like, like a, here I am, boys. Like, that's, now I'm back. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I love, I have. I really love writing and I love producing. Um, I have a couple more films that I'm working on, a television show that I'm working on, and two television shows. And I think I have, like, 
like 10 movies in me maybe okay <laughs> in terms of like writing yeah um and i'd like to work in film as much as i can um and Tarantino then it, said that yeah oh did yeah did he say six i think he said 10. i can't remember did he say 10 i just know that um i eventually want to write like books and not oh. yeah like everyone's like when are you going to start directing i'm like i'm really just going to go in the other direction okay <laughs> i'm going to become less accessible i'm going to like move to the south of england and work under a pen name and start writing books yeah i i, I think art eventually becomes like one of four things you're either painting writing making music or performing on stage it's kind of like these are the age-old things that mm. people have been doing yeah. and i feel any artist that i really deeply relate to and respect um eventually kind of starts doing that like you see people like jim carrey experimenting with painting you see yeah. people experimenting with music and i think those things feel so pure because there's not um, so much in between. Like when I write a film, the, the distance between me actually making it is years and development and finance and thousands of people. Where with art, with painting and writing and music and being on stage, it's, it's just immediate. it's right a it's immediate. So yeah. I think I'm acutely aware that I'm gonna live in like as a recluse and make yeah. the most inaccessible art ever, like paintings and make books and you know uh, that re learn French. Because I never did that. <laughs> um, but, well, I don't remember the question was. But, um, yeah, do I want to make, I'll make, like, ten movies, maybe. Who knows? Awesome. I don't know. I want also, but I also, like, want to become a CEO and, like, run the show. I want to, like, bossy pants, you know? McCormack Films. McCormack Films. Well, my film company is Floyder Films. Floyder. Floyder, which is based off, which is named after my righteous set dog named Floyd. I have a dog. Okay. Who works on set. And he's on the call he sheet. He works on set. Yeah, his name is Floyd. He's okay. best boy Floyd. Okay. Yeah. All right. He's like a set dog. So what I kind know. of dog is he? He's a boxer. He's like a 70-pound ah. boxer. So I immortalized my dog by naming my production company after him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I uh, so I want to make, I want to build Floyder films. I want to start developing other people's work, you know, make other people do the writing. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I want to like option some books and, you know, make an empire for myself, um, bring up uh, talents and writers and creators who are, you know, historically silenced, try and create a space where we're just a bunch of, like, I want to buy a house in Toronto and turn it into a production house that mm. people can, like, live in if they want. Yeah. And just do that total hippie, like, let's, let's create art from, like, a collective of some, you know, be like an Andy Warhol or whatever. Um, uh, Andy Warhol? Yeah. Is that right? For some reason I, I said so. Andy Warhol and I realized, I'm like, is his name Andy? Let's, let's, we got the, we got the I thought, up. I literally thought, I said Warhol, but for some reason I was like, Andy Warhol, and that sounded so foreign to me for a second. What an absurd thing. I think it is. You know those moments where you're like, that yeah, word means... Yeah, that name, that, yeah, it didn't come out properly. I just like, Andy seemed, like, do people call him Andy? Do you think people were yeah, like, yo, Andy? Warhol? What no, like, Warhol. So it is Andy Warhol. Right, but people, people, he's, he's known like as Warhol. Buddies. Yeah. It's kind of like when you realize the prim the prime minister is just his name's Justin. Justin. <laughs> I think I, I, Justin. I don't know if they called him Andy Warhol. I think they just Andy Warhol. Like, That's like what it, I mean. It goes together. Right. So it's, when I thought it was first... Andy, I was like, "There's no way his name is Andy." <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you're like, "No way the prime minister's name is just Justin." Justin. Joe, Joe Justin. It's like such a sick, like amazing, like 1970s name that people gave their kids. Justin. Thanks so much for coming in. Kevin. Oh, thank you. Was this good? Oh my gosh! We was talked... there is anything you I missed out? Uh, no. We we actually might have talked about everything. We talked about like the end of civilization. <laughs> <laughs>
And it was so lovely. I hope I didn't just like ramble on. And You were great. Thank oh, you thanks. so much for sharing. Thank you. Such a pleasure.